What's up? It's Mike Fenoya from Comes a Time, letting you know that O'Teal and I are going to be bringing the podcast to Patreon. Uh, each week, we are going to provide members with a bonus episode. And what we talk about is going to be up to you. That's right. Members can send in their questions, stories, topics that you'd like to hear O'Teal and I chat about, and uh, we'll shout you out and take your questions each week. You got to make it a good question, though. If it's What's Your Favorite Dead song, uh, we might skip that one. So do better. We have faith in you. Head to patreon.com slash comesatimepod and get on the bus. Welcome back to Comes a Time. I'm O'Teal. And I am Mike. We got another great one for you today. Each one we do, O'Teal, I'm like, it's my favorite one. And this one, definitely, I certainly feel like that about this one. I'm like, wow, they just keep getting better. I mean, this was such a healing one for me, mm-hmm. and I think will be for everyone else, too. We had two mental health professionals, one named Zach Borer and the other named Chaim Newman. And they also work with uh, this organization called Backline, which is providing mental health services for musicians and touring people, you know, crew, all that. Um, Because, you know, a lot of people are now confined to their homes and they were not in the best mental shape to begin with. And now their whole identity has been taken from them. Yeah. And uh, wow, what two amazing guys, man. And oh, yeah. I mean, the, he, I, I took out of this just as a, you know, not to spoil it, but man, there are some quotes that came out of their mouths that, I mean, I'm about to go get tattooed on my arms just to see every day. I mean, they are, they're in tune with what's going on. And I think that for our listeners who are comedy or music fans, have gone to concerts, have, you know, have an intimate relationship with, you know, your favorite artist's art, um, we're all going through something really heavy and it's become the norm to feel shitty and to feel alone. And, you know, it's a mantra of mine is you're not alone. And, and having them on was, I, I hope that you guys get out of it as much as we got out of it. And, uh, thanks so much to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm, we're, O'Teal and I, man, we talk O'Teal a lot about, we're going to have some repeats, some, yeah. some bring them back guests. And these guys are, they don't have a choice. No, I think that uh, there's some guests that you realize that needs to be a regular segment. Yeah. I don't know how, what, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. I don't know, but they need to come back and we need to check in. Yeah, again. Mental health. We couldn't is, cover all of it, you know? No, no. And I had we to went, that was one of our long runs, like an hour and a half or something. So, you know. Yeah. Enjoy it. And thank you guys as always for listening. And, uh, Comes a Time is on Patreon. Um, you can get an extra episode every week if you go to patreon.com slash comes a time pod where you can send us your questions. Uh, w- these episodes are on the Osiris Network. Uh, we're proud to be a part of the family and you can check out all the great podcasts on osirispod.com. And uh, thank you guys so much and enjoy. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, 
Take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lakes Tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. What's up? How you doing, Chaim? How you doing, Zach? Doing all right. How are you guys? Doing good. Good. Yeah, admiring nice, your, nice to be here. Admiring your, uh, both of your uh, cool falsa blankets back there and your cactus. You've got <laughs> nice decor. Yeah. Where are you guys? Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Los Angeles right now. And, and I'm here in Toronto, Canada, where there, where there are no cacti. Uh, <laughs> LA. In, the, in, the, in the blistering cold <laughs> that's right how's the quarantine been for you guys so far it, it, it's been an interesting time um, it's just it's, it's hard to believe that we're going on month 7 of this experience um, and, and I think that you know the beginning was full of its own emotion and the middle is full of its own emotion and <laughs> The fall approaching is full of its own charging experience, but as a whole, I have been doing pretty okay. I have two little kids at home, so that's been challenging to say the least. Um, but you know, managing, doing doing the best we can. How about you, Hyde? Yeah. yeah, it's been uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's funny. In some ways, in my own experience, I, I very much resonate even though my day job is a clinician but I, I resonate with sort of the experience of what touring artists are going through right now where i think in the year previous from march to march before the pandemic hit i think i did something like 78 flights um you know so i was on i'm on the road about uh twice a month uh working with artists and teams uh, all over the world pretty much and all of a sudden you know i haven't left toronto in six seven months now and just that like everything sort of grinding to a uh, a stop from the routine that we're used to and then uh learning how to first get stuck and be frustrated worried uncertain you know de depressed hopeless and then to kind of shift to going okay well if this is what is uh what is a different sort of routine that could be meaningful in a different way look like and adjusting and finding the joy and watering the plants that used to mostly die while I was on the road. And now I'm sort of like learning how to nest and take care of things locally in my life. Uh, so yeah, it's been an interesting, like Zach said, it's kind of the roller coaster uh, emotionally is really wild uh, at this time. Sounds like you've had uh, our phones tapped because that sounds like the conversations <laughs> that Otila and I had the whole year so far. It's uh, It's been... Yeah, adapt and react. 
Well, and, and Mike, I think it speaks to the, uh, the universality in a way of this experience for everybody. So, you know, we talk a lot uh, in session and on groups and things like that, working with musicians and other people just about like, we are all sort of in the, the big ocean, but we're all in our own little boats individually. So it's a collective experience where we are, you know, the themes of those things is very universal, but I think everybody's sort of experiencing their own unique struggles within that global experience. But, but yeah, these themes of <laughs> emotional back and forth is, is universal and I, it's everyone. So it's just like a it's pretty, pretty interesting time. This might sound crazy to someone who doesn't have anxieties and stuff, but when you have anxiety or you have, which I totally do, and, uh, you know, self, the critic constantly going off as we talk about O'Teal, and uh, you go like, um, does anybody else feel the way I do? And then there's something weirdly calming about a pandemic where you're like, oh, sweet. Now everybody knows how I feel. <laughs> it's not just me going through it. And it's, there's this collective, the people that normally you thought had your, their shit completely together are calling you like, yo, what the fuck? And I'm like, I'm a pro. I'm the, I'm the veteran now. <laughs> I've been living. I've been I put my 10,000 hours of anxiety in, man. I'm a, I'm a pro. <laughs> Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, do you find like your experience in anxiety is vastly different during this time than it sort of has been throughout your life? Like how has that been, how has this experience sort of like changed the anxiety for you at all? Um, well, I'm someone who, uh, I've, I'm, I've never done enough. Like I've never done working. If I build something and I sit down to try and enjoy it, this my first thought is like don't sit down you got to clean up you got to paint it you got to move you know it could be better you could have done a better job and that's been my life the whole from as early back as i can remember my anxiety has been like you haven't deserved any mm -hmm. relaxation or you haven't deserved any accolades or anything like you need to keep working harder and i'm that's a double-edged sword and a double-edged butter knife in a way where like i can it's helped motivate me but it's also completely debilitated my enjoyment of life and stuff, you know? Um, but now with this, it's more of like, there's a piece that comes with my anxiety now where I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm the world has forced me to sit with my thoughts and sit with my fears and sit with my memories and the stuff that I've been working so hard to inevitably avoid. And now here I am like with it and I'm thank, thank God for friends like O'Teal and friends like my, my friends, Andrew, Jay, like Dave, a whole bunch of people that I've like talked to because I'm like, I feel like I'm, the anxiety has just shifted to a point of like, I just want the world to be okay. It's not about me. It's more of a global anxiety than a, than a me thing. And I think well, that's Mike. what's changed. Yeah, well, one of those things I think that you just like hit on and you actually kind of mentioned before when you said sort of that like we're all in this is, is realizing like this has made it in a way uh, acceptable for us to, to, to like be vulnerable and be anxious and recognize that there is this universality in human experience where uh, like, you know, we all have an amygdala sitting inside the limbic system of our brain that just sort of pumps out uh, anxiety responses to 
perceived threats. And we as human beings are always, you know, we're so limited that we're, we're always under threat from the complex world. And, uh, and most people just live in denial of that and are like, oh, I got my shit together. Life's going to be normal. I have everything under control. And it's like, no, you don't. And now just the world is like, everyone's like, oh, no, we don't. <laughs> like none of yeah. us have control over anything. And <laughs> now we can all just sort of come together and not even commiserate, but maybe like get to this place. And we're not quite there yet, but maybe working towards it where we can all sort of accept that the reality is we don't really have control over things. There's going to be uncertainty. Uh, the world is a scary place. And, uh, and sometimes the way that you plan things is not going to end up being the way they manifest. But there's incredible amounts of opportunity to find really meaningful moments, even within all of that muck. Sure. I That's think fair. it's a unique opportunity in a way. And I feel so terrible for the people who were already having a hard time and now they're just underwater. But for those of, of us that are not like, you know, in dire financial circumstances yet, it's a good time to like use it as this uh, opportunity to work on yourself and to develop empathy for other people and to help other people that are struggling. Cause I always have kind of go back to that thing of like, well, when you're really nuts up here, like if you put your energy into helping someone else, it like helps both of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, so it help. I'm, I'm, we're trying to foster that, you know, even with this podcast, like, you know, let's come together and let everybody know you're not going through this alone and, and work on our mental health together. Yeah. Otil and I talk off air quite a bit and we've come to the realization that like, there's a couple things that are really amazing about what came out of the pandemic. Number one being this podcast that we're able to everyone's home. So we're able to reach out and speak to people who in all any other circumstance, we probably wouldn't have had the chance to, to get a hold of. And we're able to talk to our heroes and learn and whatever. And we also walk away from re recording each episode feeling like it was a therapy session. <laughs> and I feel like I'm walking away from conversations with friends from high school. And I, you know, I could talk to Oteil and Oteil's a father and I'm not. So I listened to him talk about being a dad and I empathize, but I also, it takes my mind off me <laughs> a little bit. You know what I mean? And Oteil can listen to me being the, the husband of a nurse practitioner and how my fears for her life and how that manifested itself into anger when I would see people not wearing a mask and I'd tell him and he can empathize with me and we can balance it, it out. And it's just finding those small little, you know, puddles of balance that, that make it, uh, I'm, I'm here to empathize with both of you because I'm a dad, Oteil, so I got you on there. I totally get it. And my wife is a medical practitioner. <laughs> wow. I'm like sitting right in the middle there, so I feel all of your pain. Sometimes you kept, somehow you kept that cactus alive and healthy. Good for yeah. you, man. Well, 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 this is not the office that I normally work in, so I just popped in here for the day, so oh. I can't take credit for the cactus. But uh, Other people's cactus. Uh, <laughs> so i would imagine that uh business is booming for you guys right now uh with all the musicians and crews and everybody is it just music and crews like what all, what all do you cover in backline you know it's not 
So backline, so uh, there's a couple professional things that, that I do, a couple professional things that Haim does. Um, I have a private practice based in LA, so I see people, you know, just one-on-one therapy sessions. Uh, and then uh, I'm the co-founder and clinical director of Backline, which is a separate project, which just connects music industry professionals and their family members with a trusted network of uh, mental health and wellness providers throughout the country. So I think on both fronts, I have seen an uptick in people asking for help. Um, My private practice is busier than it ever has been, for sure. Uh, And I I work with not only artists, but, you know, the support staff of artists. So I have uh, managers and agents and and in my practice as well. And for sure, Backline has seen an increase in in submissions as well for people just looking for help. And um, it's been interesting, actually, to track the, the... the presenting issues, if you will, from March, April, even May to where it is now. I think for what we saw backline, so much of the initial response, the initial outreach was more crisis mitigation and crisis management. Like, holy shit, all my gigs are gone. How am I going to pay my rent? What am I going to do? And so helping them navigate where to get some financial resources or some crisis management resources was one thing. What we've seen a little bit is it's turning more into a um, a preventative strategy. So people are like, okay, well, we're going to be here for a while. How do I then continue to take care of myself. And so the, the submissions for general therapy has definitely um, gone up in the last few months. And I think we're sort of sitting, sitting there, but yeah, I, I mean, I personally am, it's weird to say, but the busiest that I have ever been, which is sort of a, it's just an ironic and interesting place professionally to sit as like the world is, is struggling so much. Um, yeah. I haven't actually gone to see my therapist because I figured she was swamped. And also, I have Mike. You know, I have my (laughs) wife. I have my kids. I finally have a studio space again. This podcast, really. I mean, seriously, these things are my therapy. You know, my biking every morning and uh, yoga, meditation, whatever. But really, a lot, this podcast and and has helped a lot and is part of my therapy. So I haven't really called her because I know she's swamped. I mean, I, but know- I, I love that. I love <laughs> finding all those other sources of connection to get yourself to a healthy place. Right. Like as a clinician and, you know, Outcomes are, are, are dependent upon the relationship between the therapist and the client, right? So that's what it is. It's about the connection there. It's about being seen. It's about being heard. And, and if, if, if anyone can find those outlets and find those support systems throughout their life, like it doesn't have to be sitting in an office for an hour a week, right? Like that's something that I think is, is, is specific, but I love what you said, Otila. I think it's a, such a, a, a wonderful, like, toolkit if you will not to sound too cliche but like a a place where you can figure out how to take care of yourself and all those things make a lot of sense to me yeah it's having an assortment of things it's not just one i've seen that so much with you know i am never impressed by a human's level of extremism or talent and i've seen some people give themselves so much to their art and i'm not trying to downgrade you know 
that's beautiful. But if you don't like for me, being able to balance home life and the road, like gave me a perspective of like the road. Like if you're always on the road, you don't have anything to A, B it with. Well, when I got at home, you know, and so I have my wife, you know, she's a therapist for me. My kids are therapy for me. When they sit in my lap and want to kiss me and do something, I get oxytocin just flooding my system, you know. So it's really, it's been a long process of cultivating a good home life. But that's like a work in progress as all of this is, you know, and I know it's hard for musicians because we don't, the road goes on forever and, you know, embrace the hustle and I'm not, you know, just like, man, you're going to die young or you're going to be unhappy when you get the prize. Yeah. You know, I see that a lot. I see people far richer and more famous than me killing themselves. And you're like, <laughs> you didn't get that balance, you know? And, and, and two points that I'd like to make on what O'Teal just said is that, uh, I'm as a comedian, I'm jealous of musicians because you get to travel with your band. I got to do it solo. I got to stay in a condo in a mall for five days and try to figure out how to entertain myself and not think about drinking and whatever other stuff. And also, some of a lot of people, and I can say this for myself, we were on that path of like things were picking up careers were getting to the point where, you know, I mean, we put in 10, 12, there's a, there's a David Gilmore song that I've been listening to over and over during the pandemic. And there, there's no way out of here. And it's all just about like that whole, like all this you put in, there was no promise of anything, but you put in that work and all the, you're in here now, there's no way out. And it's like, some of us have to really go like, all right, like, do I have to go like drive a truck now? Like, do I have to, I've been, I've been, you know, that's why I'm trying out my trucker hats. Like which one works? (laughs) So I guess like my point is that for some of us, we've had to have this reality of like, for, there may not be a career when this shit comes back. And I'm talking to a lot of comics that are like, I don't miss it. I don't Mm -hmm. like, we miss telling jokes. We miss performing. We miss our friends, but we don't miss the, like going to bed every night wondering like, what can I, what more can I do? You know, like how many more days on the calendar can I fill and be away and all the things that, you know, we hope to aspire to, you know, get to that point. Like O'Teal was talking about where it's like being home. Like I had to look at my calendar and look at my wife and be like, one of these days I want you to retire (laughs) and, and I'm going to have to work my ass off until I can get you that. And that meant being alone and being, so I'm jealous of musicians because you guys get to do it. You know, you get that's to a double-edged someone. sword though. When you're with the same people all the time, <laughs> you know, go on a six month tour with the same guys. No, you're right. You're definitely and that's right. Why they split up and will be alone a lot when they have a lot of money. Everybody is kind of still alone except for at showtime, you know, and there is that, yeah, there is that <laughs> weird thing after years and years of going on the road that you almost kind of like start to become that shelled in introvert when you're not on stage. Like I was the extremely extroverted before comedy, before my career. Now, like I just want to be quiet and in my room and listening to music or with like one or two friends, or I don't want to go out and party and whatever. Like it's just quiet, you know, like call people, <laughs> whatever, you know, it changes you. Sure. Well, I think one of the, one of the things you guys are both speaking to is, 
boy, how difficult it truly is in these industries, right? And the type of work that you do, whether as a comedian or as a musician, like to do it in a way that's balanced and to actually find a way to go out on the road where um, you're maintaining your self-care, you're maintaining your, you know, healthy relationships at home, you're maintaining your, uh, your, your social world. And it's like it, it, the pressure to have to, you know, whether it's in the music industry where, you know, now that things have shifted over the last few years where so much of the profit really comes from touring, which means there's just pressure to tour relentlessly. And, it, and it's not like you can sit at home with your family and just, you know, sell records and still have that work-life balance. It's like, no, you've got to be on the road 270 days a year. Or as a comedian where it's like, you got to be on the road 270 days a year. And there's the the loneliness and the isolation piece of the road is, is so uh, incredibly challenging. And I just wanted to come back to one of the things that actually you touched on in the first mic in the first, um, just in the first sentence, uh, you know, a bunch of minutes ago, that uh, not only uh, is there the challenges of the pandemic from an emotional and a mental health perspective, but there's everything that we came in with. Right. And so where Zach is saying, you know, we're getting an uptick in referrals and his private practice is busier uh, than it's ever been. And not only am I seeing that in my private practice where it's like I'm just, you know, turning away people left and right because I don't have enough hours. But all the people that were already coming in and struggling who I've been seeing are now struggling way more profoundly. And everything is just like amped up in the level of intensity of their anxiety or the level of stuckness if they're stuck in their relationships, right? If they were someone who was dealing with feeling isolated, it's like, or feeling lonely, it's like, well, that's going to be amplified times 10 right now with the distancing and the inability to gather with friends and family. And that stuff really, really takes a toll. And that brings us to something I know we got to talk about when you're stuck like that and you're isolated in 2020, you're on your fucking phone, you're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So now whatever your addict, (laughs) you know, your addict mind or whatever your anxiety mind is like just (laughs) reading this constant. Yeah. role of just the worst shit you know my wife said something so profound like i'm so tired of my instagram i got off facebook altogether i was just like screw it instagram doesn't seem to be as political and then even that when she's like you need to curate your instagram better like my instagram is all stuff that inspires me it's just a constant stream of inspiration and i was like yeah so i just muted a bunch of stuff so i didn't like hurt any feelings and then I just started putting other stuff in there, you know? So I'm sure you've been dealing with that a lot. Like, does, is there a 12 step group for, <laughs> for okay. Facebook? Cut, my, and cut, cut your and fingers off. TikTok, you know? Well, well just to, to think about the, the, the sort of function of what that provides for you is a very similar process to it, sort of like drugs, alcohol, sex addiction, yes. whatever it might be, whatever we become addicted to, right? Is a, is a we're trying to get out of our, experience maybe like the thoughts the 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 chatter in our minds right so we are we 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 distract ourselves in in any sort of way and if we're in an environment where we're more isolated more alone anxiety is creeping up on us that chatter can become louder and louder and louder and what do we do we go to our phone 
you know, Chaim and I, we were talking about this in depth in one of our, we, we run a support group. Um, we, yep. And we were talking about this for at length, I think maybe Monday about the, the, how social media is affecting everybody right now Ugh. and how it's distracting everybody. And, but, but we, you know, when you sort of zoom out a little bit and you understand the function of what it does in order to get out of our own experience, we understand it a little better. And it really, I, I, I think it comes a lot to just building a better relationship to it that is supportive of you as an individual and what you need out of it. Like what you said, OTL, right? Like there's, there's ways to curate it and also to be aware of when it doesn't and, and yeah. pull back from. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which requires, which requires a tremendous amount of like being mindful and conscious of like how you're engaging the thing. It's funny, Zach, as you were saying that I was thinking to myself, you know, what are the like, primary ways that we decide whether something is addictive or not, right? Withdrawal, right? Do you, if you put it away, right? If you stay away from the substance or the thing, like, do you experience withdrawal? Does your anxiety spike, right? It's like, try putting your phone down for six hours and saying, I'm not going to look at this. And we'll like, watch what happens internally, right? Or the tolerance piece of like, do you need more and more of it to get that same distraction level, that same break from our anxiety? and yeah, it can be, uh, I saw, I saw something this morning, actually, weirdly, uh, someone sent me something and it was a picture of someone sitting in front of their phone and it said, how you pay your bills in 2020. Then it was a picture of the same person sitting in front of their phone and it said, how you check your mail. Then it was a picture of the same person sitting in front of the phone and it said, going to work, going to school, your sex life, your social interaction and how you relax, right? And every piece was that same zombied image of like that in theory, if we, if we don't make a mindful effort to, like you say, Othiel, to be balanced about it, to be discerning, to choose what's healthy, what's not, how much of this am I, like you said, Zach, am I in control of it? Then it becomes, you could literally, your entire life gets filtered through that small screen. Uh, and you know, my, my, my Instagram can send me out away from my phone because yeah. I will get into something that'll be like, I need to go do that. So now I'm going to go scuba dive this wreck or I'm going to go out in nature. Or I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to just sit right here and turn the damn thing off for four hours because something inspired me to like not be on my phone. That's a good curation there. You know, I, I love that too. Right. Using the phone as a vessel to get away from the phone. Right. There's like this paradox <laughs> sort of in it, but, but what you say that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know what I think about too is like, I feel like there's a thumb muscle memory thing to like where your apps are on your phone. And I remember what I did when I wanted to take a break from like whatever it was, Facebook or Twitter, whatever. I put crossword puzzles where my thumb, where that, where the Twitter app used to be. So when I would go on my phone, my thumb would automatically, I'd unlock boom, boom, boom keys and then go to the first thing I would do would always click that social media and then I would look at it and I'm like, oh yeah, crossword puzzle. So it was almost like a, like an e-sig for my thumb. And I was kind of like... What I thought you were going to say was that you took a slice of cheese and just started pressing on it and all the like... No, I'm lactose intolerant, but... No, but what it, can I tell you what it was? It was the crossword puzzle was killing time too. And that's all that social media is, is just killing time for me or whatever. And then I go on it and I'm like... 10 minutes into a crossword puzzle and I'm like, oh, I'm actually like thinking and I'm like talking to people in the room and I'm like, what's a four letter word for whatever, you know? And like kind of 
that was one thing. And then another thing I found was that I started to think about if I was on YouTube or whatever, use these algorithms for me as a, as a medicine instead of a, you know, so like Buddhist, like, you know, I, I'm, I love to read about like Buddhism and religion and philosophy. And so I was talking to Otiel about like stoicism is something I've been reading a lot. And I've been, um, you know, there, there's fun, uplifting videos online, even just like the one I found last night where you watch a guy listen to a song for the first time and his uh, reaction. I the Phil Collins one? I, I watched the Rush one and the Grateful Dead one yesterday, but yes, okay. there's a ton. And I think that one thing that's just cool was, and I talked to Atil about this this morning, was just like, you can make this thing help you and not hurt you. And that's something that I think is extremely important because everyone's on it. And, you know, it's all that we had for however long, a couple, six, seven months, you know? But you two are both picking up at some really interesting points, which is the, the sort of development within yourself to notice the things that you need and to notice the things that work and that don't. And that sometimes comes with a lot of trial and error and comes with a lot of falling down on our face and, and picking ourselves back up and realizing what does work. And, and I think therapeutically, at least from my end, so much of that is, is understanding what our thoughts are, where they are, what they're saying to us, and then challenging them, repurpose, repurposing them, and using them in a way that can be beneficial instead of harmful. So you guys are sort of like, to me, talking about some really uh, interesting therapeutic techniques that you're doing for yourselves to really... Uh, you know, be aware of what's going on, be aware of that thought process and where it might go in a negative way and saying like, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Like in, in its meditation, it's all of these things, right? Where's your thought? Where are you going to let in? Where are you going to, where, what boat are you going to get into there on that meditation sort of ride? So, I mean, I think what you're saying is, is, is so great and, and useful for anybody who might be listening in a way. Like when we learn more about ourselves, we learn what works and what doesn't. And then we can adapt and do behavioral things that, that really can change our lives. Yeah. You know, Mike always talks about the, um, the critic, which I, you know, obviously any addict can relate to. And I always joke with him, you know, I, I say put him to work. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what it's hard when you don't know how to love yourself. It sounds like, well, how do I love myself? I don't know how to do this. But it ends up being things like that where you learn these patterns and you go, okay, well, how do I change this? And that's like putting it where if you're going to do this, then I'm going to put you to work for my benefit. Yeah. Like, you know, but I had to have that uh, <clears throat> a, a past therapist called a metanoia, that turning point where I did discover a reason like worth to worth loving myself and i'm glad i did before i had kids you know although that probably would have given it to me but maybe you know i'm glad i got there before that you know that's the, the healthiest way is when it comes from within right yeah uh, mike mike yeah. i wanted to share with you an experience and i'm curious if you know just doing that thing if you're gonna uh relate to this i was i was uh attending a uh, conference uh, put on by Dr. Stephen Hayes and a, a handful of really the world's like top uh, psych researchers. And one of the things they did is there was about 300 of us in a hotel ballroom, all uh, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and various clinicians. And 
uh, they basically said, partner up with someone you've never met before. And so you're sort of standing next to some stranger in the ballroom. And they said, cool. So uh, one of you is going to be play the role of yourself and you're going to sort of stand there. And the other person is going to play the role of your mind. And uh, yourself has a job, which is walk around the ballroom for the next five minutes, like five full 300 seconds. Now, the person who plays the mind, their job is to uh, chatter incessantly in your ear and wow. follow you around and just say critical things the entire time for five straight minutes. And the only rule is uh, you can't lose your mind. So <laughs> you have to take the person, you got to take the person with you. So, oh, you know, wow. I'm, I'm walking around the ballroom and the person behind me is going, why'd you choose to go in this direction? You probably should have gone in the other direction. Are people looking at us? Do they think we're okay? Maybe we're really not good enough. You know, maybe we should have done something better. Are we really, oh man, everyone in the room is probably a better clinician than we are. La, la, la. You know, and literally for five minutes straight. And then at the end of it, you sort of like stop and everybody sits down. And first of all, you're like, wow, like it's so quiet. And then you realize you're like, that's what my life always looks like. (laughs) And so I was curious if, if you related to sort of, as you were doing that, that was what came to mind. Well, yeah, absolutely. And And it's funny you say that because I think it takes experiencing the absence of the critic to know the critic is there. And I've explained a couple times about my feeling Uh, I've been doing transcendental meditation for about seven or eight years. I've done float tanks as much as I possibly can. Microdosed music is what gets music is my medicine. I I'm, I need music. Um, there are are five, six days in a row that I don't turn on the TV and I just morning to night play music, but (laughs) acknowledging what it feels like to feel peace. And I've explained it as like, you know, when you're in an, in a in ground pool, and you're at that point where the ground starts to turn from the shallow to the deep. And you can, if you, if you flex your foot and touch your toe, you know that you could touch, but you're purposefully hovering right over that. And you let go of the side of the pool and you're just floating there. And you know that either way you go, you're going to experience some feeling like just being aware of that peace and that floating that's the absence of the critic. And I think when you feel that and you see that, you know that that's there. So you know the critic more because you know that if he would just shut up, you could get back to that peaceful place, you know? And um, yeah, I, I've, that's incredible. And that's a great, um, I mean, that's, that's just a really, really awesome practice that you guys did because, I mean, it's so wild to think about if you could personify your emotions and you can personify the things you want to change about yourself and stuff. You know, I, I, I talked to Otil a lot about my therapist and I, I love her. I absolutely love her with all my heart and she's a hypnotherapist, but we don't do hypnotherapy sessions all the time, but it took me shopping around to find the right therapist for myself. And I wanted to make sure I brought this up with you guys on the horn because, you know, at first I felt like I was, okay, this is the guy in my network for my insurance. And he's clearly not, he's looking at the clock right now. And I've seen him muffle a yawn three times where he's kind of, you ever see someone yawn with their mouth closed and they're like, you know, like you try to hold it in and it's just like, Hey, we're out of time. And I'm like, I hate you. (laughs) I had to go from person to person and I finally found my person and I'm, I'm forever indebted to her. 
And I've told her, I went into her and I, when I was going on the road a lot and I was like, this is what I need from you. I'm like, I go on the road and I feel extremely lonely and I can, can we record a session that I can listen to when I'm on the road? That's personal to me. It's not some app that I'm doing a seven day trial or whatever. Like it's me talking to you and it's the things I need to the reverse critic. And she was all in and I, and I've, she's brought me through a lot of really incredible breakthroughs and I looked to where I was when I started with her and it's just wild. And I think I wanted to ask you guys about that. Like, you know, for people that are listening, like shopping around and, and finding the right relationship. For sure. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Right. Like we talked about a little earlier, it is that relationship that works and the difference between what happens when you feel like somebody is listening and somebody is hearing you instead of muffle yawning and looking at the clock, right? What that does for you in that room that you then take away out of it. So for sure, I think that, I think people just don't really, they're really not educated on how to look for help. And, you know, we don't, we don't talk a lot about it. Like we, we can try 12 different gyms, right? We can go to CrossFit or SoulCycle or this or that or yoga. Like, oh, we find the thing that works. But when it comes to, uh, you know, exercising our mind and finding therapeutic relationships that work, we somehow feel like, wait, I I, I can't do that. And I I always advocate for people to, if I'm not the right fit for you, please tell me, I'm happy to find you somebody that is. Um, And it's, it's vital. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's, it's everything when, you know, like you feel heard, you feel like you can, like you said, um, the reverse critic, when you can go in there and feel empowered and, and to speak what you want to speak. And when that is met with compassion and an openness, like what that does to the future work that you can do together. So I think it's a wonderful point and um, something that I would, would adv- advocate for everybody. And honestly, in my opinion, any therapist that won't get on the phone with you for, the, for, for a 10 minute, 15 minute consultation, yeah. just to like see if there's a general vibe. That's great. Like, I was never yeah. offered that. Like, like first yeah. like call them and say like, I'd love to talk to you for 10 minutes. If someone can't find 10 minutes to give you to talk about what's going on and make sure that they're the right fit, then like, don't give them your money. Yeah. I what agree. are some of the reasons that you think that is? Because like my first thought while you guys were talking about this was that, well, America is such a Coke machine culture. Like if we don't put the coin in and get out what we need right away, then we're not going to work for it. But then that's not true because you said, you know, we'll look for the right gym, the right yoga class, you know, the way we deal with music. We'll sort through a lot of bullshit music to get to the good stuff. So I wonder what it is about us, why in this particular category of mental health that we don't. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I think it is, what it might be, which is, you know, if you think about the relationship dynamic and for so many people who are coming into therapy, um, their relationships in their life are not stable. They've experienced rejection, abandonment, being invalidated, all of those things, whether from their parents, you know, partners, uh, you know, other people in their lives. And, and it's almost like going in and it's like that sense of like walking away. Is this another rejection? Oh no, another relationship that didn't work in my life. And so, so one aspect of it, I think is there's that, there's that fear in that way of, of just being able to say, Hey, this isn't something that's working for me. Right. And probably those kind of people, most people are going to therapy 
are also, they're not assertive in their lives, right? They're not the kind of people who are saying in their relationships, like, yeah, hey, I didn't appreciate that you did X. They're the kind of people who just bottle it up and they're like, okay, well. And so that happens in that context. And then the other thing, and I think this is the scarier one, which probably all of us resonate with is like, man, when you're in like, when, you know, most people, Zach, you know, Zach and I know, like the people that show up at our door, it's usually not because they're having like, you know, 1% of their life is a little bit off. It's like, man, they're in crisis. They're suffering to the point where they were like, you know, I'm going to throw money at it. I'm going to throw my time. Like just, I'm going to open up to a total stranger. Right. And what happens is sometimes even when the relationship isn't great, um, they're like, what, but what if there's nothing better out there? Like what if the alternative is this or like, you know, crumbling to pieces, then maybe I'll just stay with this therapist that, uh, that isn't really working. And so then it becomes on, you know, clinicians and, and, you know, clinicians like, uh, like that who are, where we're conscious and really trying to serve. Uh, the the patient or the client as best we can to actually be able to highlight it and say like, Hey, like, is this working for you really? And to be honest, because sometimes they can't say it out loud, like, Hey, this isn't working for me. So if we detect something in the room where there's a, a disconnect or a tension, or we feel like the person just, you know, they're, they're fidgety. They it just looks like they don't want to be there. Like I'll always say, and, and so will Zach will be like, you know, like, Hey, like, is this the right fit? Is this, like, are you getting what you need? And if not, like, tell me what you need. Kind of like you did, Mike. Like, say what you need and, and I'll do what you need. Or if I can't, then like, cool. But I'll help you find someone who will so that they don't experience it as this, you know, invalidating thing. And if anything, you can actually use that moment as a, a sort of like a learning experience, a teaching experience for them to be able to say like, hey, it's okay to say when something isn't working for you. Like, and, and to in, empower them in that way, like you don't have, this is the one place in the world where you don't have to bottle up what you're feeling. You know, you can just come out and be like, you are a dumbass, like get away from me, you know? And I'm like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it sort of picks up on a point that we talked about a little bit earlier, which is when, you know, if for people who are, are less assertive in their lives or maybe don't have the relationships where they are able to communicate effectively, they're unable to do that in the room with us. And, and, and so when they do, like Haim says, when we are able to uh, either approach it in a more direct way or whatever our sort of therapeutic style is, when a client then speaks their truth to us and it is met with, again, openness and acceptance, it's, 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 a, it's like a, it, it's a, it's a modeling of that relationships can be like this in life, mm-hmm. right? That, that you yeah. can, you can then speak your vulnerability and it is then met with acceptance. So there are other avenues in your life. We can model this behavior in other relationships. It might not always go as well, but you are capable of doing that. And maybe they, like, like we said, we bring all the stuff from our lives into the session. So maybe they've never had that experience before. And maybe they haven't, every time they've ever been vulnerable, it has been met with rejection. So people feel like I can't be vulnerable. F that, like it's met with rejection, which is then met with shame and guilt and all of those things. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Um, And even just aside from that, I, I think that a lot of people too, they want quick fixes and, yeah. and they, you know, I'm, it's, I have clients now who they, they're expecting results after three sessions and they just want a pill. 
And or, or like, well, why am I still what, like with, with no I side effects? <laughs> yeah, just, totally. Right? And a pill for the, the side effects. No side effects that just magically make my anxiety go away. Yeah. It's called microdosing mushrooms, guys. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's called putting in the work. You know, I remember okay. going to therapists and, and, and I, when it wasn't right, I would change. But after a while, you kind of dread having the first therapy session. Now I got to tell my whole story again. Yeah, dude. And, you know, I was like, I want to be down here, down the road. I don't want to be starting back to square one again. But I got to give this new therapist time to get to know what the fuck's going on in this crazy mind, you know? <laughs> and uh, so that was, and it just ends up being a thing where for me, my need was so great that I would just have to put the work in to find the right person. Because but sometimes people aren't the right fit, right? There is something oh, God, to it, yeah. like they're not the right fit. And, and so sticking to it, like when you're like, I just got to put in the work, maybe this person's the, I just have to wait it out, but they're the wrong fit. So there is a little bit of a, a, a balancing act there. There is like a, a point where you have to sort of say like, oh, I don't know if this is the right fit or do I put more time in, which can be tricky for sure. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWolf. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. Zach, Zach, I want to ask you a question, which I'm curious, just off the cuff. Um, could you think of, you know, we get a lot of people that come into your office and my office who have experienced a lot of really bad therapy in their lives and, and have had a lot of therapists that were unsupportive or really, you know, kind of uh, did, didn't serve them in the proper way. I'm curious if, if anything jumps to mind for you is like, what was the worst thing you heard that someone said like that a therapist in the past had said to them or done or not done? Well, I, I remember someone saying, wow, what a question. Really? Someone came to mind. I was so curious. <laughs> no, no but I, I, this isn't something that happened with me, but it's something that I've heard from somebody else when, um, a therapist asked a client who is in the music industry if they could get them concert tickets to their favorite band, right? So really, that's that's never happened. You know, obviously, it's not my story, but but there are there are you know Jeff Tweedy, Jeff Tweedy from from Wilco wrote a book, and he talks about he had a a, ther- a doctor. <clears throat> I don't know if it's a therapist, but a doctor who wanted to go out on the road with him. And I think it's okay to talk about because he wrote it in his book, but there was like a bad doctor that kind of like, you know, steered him in a direction of like, I think taking an opiate for depression or something like that. And he, he's healthy now. And I mean, he's one of my heroes for how open he is about stuff and mental health, but yeah, that crossing the line, I, I imagine with entertainer entertainers, that's probably something that happens more. Even you got a cool client, I mean, what a fucked up thing when your doctor's acting like a groupie, like covertly, like, you know, I'm already. That's nuts. Uh, like if you're an insecure person, it's like, oh, you were using me. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I can't trust any doctors, right? Oh, you know, like, 
the worst. Uh, you, you guys saw that Metallica documentary, Some Kind of Monster, where they sort of have this really uh, therapist who sort of does a lot of that kind of stuff. And I felt like in the, in the early stages of my career working with, uh, with artists and in the industry, so much of what I was doing was like undoing that movie and being like, that's not actually what good therapy looks like, you know? And, uh, and you're right. It is like that issue. I think that everybody touched upon that where there's this thing about, you know, people are enamored. There's like a glamour to the music industry and artists. And, and so many times we get contacted by people who are like, Oh yeah, I just want to work with artists. Like, can I come work into your practice? I'm like, cool. What do you do clinically? Like, and they're like, uh, you know, it My first... you know, <laughs> no, go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think the way that, that, uh, people like, like Zach and I probably work through it effectively is that, in the end, I mean, you know, it's like an artist is a person who's creative, but in the end, they're a person above all else. And, and everything starts with, uh, you know, it's uh, so little of what uh, I'll talk about with uh, the average artist patient is actually about, you know, their art and how many records they sold, unless it's a thing where it's impacting their sense of self or their depression. But I'm like, I want to know about your family. I want to know about like what you dream about, like, you know, what's going on in your like fears and, and trying to get into just seeing a person as a person at the end of the day and like flesh and blood and whatever you do for a living. And it's wonderful if you do it standing on a stage and, and much like you, Mike, it's like the music is my therapy and Zach and I are both, you know, sort of Zach's probably closer to a real musician <laughs> than I am, but you know, both of us love music and grew up around it and, and went into the, the, niche within our uh, field as clinicians because we love being around that world but in a way where it's it's about the person as a person and in the end all of the all of the other the trappings are are irrelevant i'm like what is making you tick what is making you suffer how do we help you move through that period people have to be able to separate you know i love having conversations with people about uh you know like the fact that um James Earl Jones and Bill Withers and Bill Walton, who's a big fixture on the Grateful Dead scene, were just intense stutterers, severe stutterers. Mm -hmm. But when they would sing, they wouldn't stutter. Or when, you know, uh, James Earl Jones would be in a play, he wouldn't stutter. Like when you're on stage, when I'm like my most fucking nervous, yeah. you know, that's what made me start drinking. I was so nervous. So I'm not going to blame that. It didn't make me start dreaming. So not good way I dealt with it, but you know, and, and Bill Withers said, I just, they said, well, why do, why do you think you stutter? He says, I have very uh, low self-esteem. It's just very cut and dry. Like, you know, but so it just speaks to like, you know, I look at Bill Withers just like everybody else. Like, how do you do that? But he's a guy with an extremely, extremely low sense of self-esteem. Like, we got to be able to look, separate our artists from, you know, the, make like you said, they're people, you know? That's why idolatry is bad in the Bible. You know, <laughs> like, it's a yeah. person, you know? Yeah. Like it's so sad and, and, and it works against us so much in the music and in the comedy world, I'm sure. We've both we've both seen friends uh die. Kill themselves, yeah. Kill themselves because of you know, in one way or another. And I wanted to ask you guys about something and, and it's a theory I have and I and I 
think I suffer from it, but, and I know comics that are no longer with us suffered from it, but I wanted to ask you guys about imposter syndrome. Are you guys familiar with, um, I think that this is something that, especially with social media becoming so much more like everyone showing their best 24 seven and not showing the ugly picture of them, you know, wiping their ass that morning or whatever, you know, I think everyone has this, I, I don't belong here. I'm going to be, you know, like people are going to find out that I'm not as talented as I, you know, whatever I, I, what I didn't earn anything. And there's this imposter, like, I don't belong. I don't deserve. Don't deserve. I think that artists in, we do what we do. We're, we're busted up, man. We're dented and we do this for a reason. And I don't know what it is, but then you learn about imposter syndrome and it's like, Oh shit. Like that sounds so dead on. Do you guys find that in the art world, music, entertainment, that like, and for people who aren't listening, maybe if you guys can give like a, you know, the nickel tour of like what imposter syndrome is. I can, I can tell you that it, it's not specific to artists, comedians, people in creative fields. Also, I think there's a lot of working professionals that have this as well. And just for me to be completely transparent and vulnerable in this moment, because I think, you know, must lead by example here. Like, I had a moment of imposter syndrome in the last 45 minutes on this conversation with everybody here, right? Like, huh, am I saying it is what I'm saying, right? Like, do I, do I deserve to be here? So I think it's, I think it's super, super, super normal to not feel as if we have a place where we are and to feel like, we don't deserve to be where we are. Um, we could break it down, I'm sure, in a lot of different ways. Um, something that Haim and I talk a lot about together, and I'll let him sort of talk about his opinions on imposter syndrome after, but, but I think part of a lot of what we talk about is when, and this has been so prevalent and relevant during the COVID era, when our jobs are taken away from us, right? When our, the stage is gone, the crowd is gone, the touring is gone, all that stuff where our identity is so wrapped up in it. It is who we are. It is the fabric of everything we do. I was a musician for a working musician for 10 years before I became a therapist in New York. Right. And it was, I, it was the grind. It was, I bartended at night and gigged in New York all the time. And it was, I was Zach the musician it was and it took so it took years for me to shed that and sort of understand that i was many 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 things and that was just sort of one part wow dude that's great it took a lot of took a lot of work and it took a lot of my own self-discovery and i think you know but 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 i the point is is that when when all of that is stripped away who are we yeah what are we left with yeah. who's that that human right on the inside not the comedian not the musician or the bass player or the therapist right who are we who are we as a, as a as a spirit and as a human in this world and i think when we learn how to cultivate that and we find those things that resonate with us and we work through some of that and that's not to say that imposter syndrome is going to be gone but when we start getting in there and working through it like it's it's i mean such a such a better place to be and um i i think artists specifically though well that's not true i think professionals a lot too they they sort of like they they 
put so much value and so much emphasis on what they do, what their music is, whatever it is that they, they just, they, they become the musician, the comedian, the entrepreneur, the finance person, whatever it is. And, and, and it's hard to sort of start to break some of that shell a little bit. Yeah. Um, I totally a hundred percent, like a thousand percent, um, just to add two little pieces to that, which I, you know, and it's, I, I liked what you said. Thank you for being so transparent, Zach, about that. Cause I literally, like I got on here at, you know, whatever it was, it, it 45, 50 minutes ago. And it, you know, and I've done a bunch of podcasts and Zach and I've done a bunch of podcasts in the last little bit. And, and every time I have the same reaction in the first like 30 seconds, I have like a crazy mini panic attack. Don't know if anyone noticed. And I'm just like, Oh my God, could I do this? Like I've done a thousand of them and it doesn't change. And you know, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, it's like you stand on a stage for the thousandth time. There's still that moment where you're like, Oh my God, like what if I fucking play all the wrong notes tonight? And what if, you know, and, and so having those moments, they're just, I, I really appreciated you saying that Zach. Cause I was like, Oh cool. I'm not the only one on the call. Who felt that. <laughs> you're not. Um, so, so two things, um, which is like this, uh, number one, you know, my mentors, uh, in the psych world always used to say that like, boy, like where we suffer is where we care, you know? And it's like the things wow. that you don't care about, the things you don't care about, you don't feel pain over, you know? And if I, I give people, I'm like, how bad do you feel about like the absence of the national lacrosse league this year? And everyone's like, well, I haven't really felt any pain over that. And I'm just like, well, how come? Like, well, just because I don't care. Right. But it's like, but the things that, that mattered to us, that really mattered to us, that's where we hurt. And so imposter syndrome in some way, first of all, is a lens that points at like what mm. matters to us, right? And it's like, you know, my success in this thing, you're right, like Zach was saying, we tie it in an unhealthy way, our identity to it. But, but the goal is to learn how to detach the identity, but still to recognize that like, but this is important to me in some way. And that's why I'm going like, oh God, oh God, what if I'm not really deserving or I'm not going to do it well? And then uh, the bigger piece, and I think this really speaks to, you know, both, uh, both of you, Mike and Othiel have mentioned, and I know Zach does that, that you and for myself as well, we all, all of us on the call have a regular meditation practice. And as a meditator, uh, you know this, which is uh, you have two minds, not one mind, two minds. <laughs> right? There's, there's our, our judging mind and our experiencing mind. And at every moment, the judging mind is constantly evaluating our experience and going, is this good? Is this bad? Should this be this? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Am I enough? Am I not enough? Right? And everything is sort of getting lumped into these uh, polarized categories of good, bad, enough, not enough. Uh, and then we have the experiencing mind, which is the other part of us that's just sort of like, looks at the plant and goes like, boy, that's really green, you know, mm. or like is standing on stage in front of the crowd and just, you know, and, and it's just experiencing like the faces and looking at the movement of the people in the crowd as they're dancing um, or whatever it might be, or it's a laugh as they're responding to a joke of ours and just being in that. And what happens is, uh, is our judging mind is really, really active and, in, uh, and that's for all of us. And certainly in our society, which cultivates judgment of, you know, it's like, think about whether your life is good enough or not, and then decide it's not good enough. 
But if you buy this car or this watch or whatever, then you'll be enough. Then your life will be. So, so our whole culture, right, is built around consumerism, which is built around judging your experience and assessing that it's not enough and then wanting to purchase this thing. And that's how everything is sold to us. So, so not only are we by nature judging beings, that part of our mind is very active uh, in order to try to make sense of our experience, but then we're in a culture that sort of encourages and nurtures that. What it doesn't nurture as much and what takes much more work, and that's what all the meditation is about, is cultivating the experiencing mind that just sits and experiences the what is. And so imposter syndrome, when we walk in, when you're standing there on a stage as an artist, as a performer, in whatever, as a, as a professional walking into a business meeting, you know, it's the judging mind that's going, oh God, are we going to say the right thing? Is, am I enough? Are they going to like me? Is this going to go well? Whereas what we over time need to learn how to do, and that is the work of meditation and the work of the therapeutic process is how do you cultivate the experiencing mind? To, to notice all that judgment and then walk in and be like, and I notice the face of the person sitting across from me at this interview or, and I notice the way my chest feels when I hit a bass note and feel it resonate out of the amplifier behind me. And, and there's no good, bad. There's just, I just feel what that experience is like. I notice the colors of the lighting. And the more that we're able to learn how to cultivate that experiencing mind, and just accept that the judgment's going to be there, the less active it becomes. And all of a sudden, we're not sitting in the imposter question of enough, not enough, good, bad, say the right thing, say the wrong thing. We're just in like, let's just be in the experience of this minute. And that's, for me, 45 minutes ago, exactly what I did is like, I was like, oh, shit, that part of my mind's going, Ugh. I'm, I just think like, I just, I'm just going to be here. I think yeah. I just found my shaman for my next LSD trip. You're coming with me, buddy. <laughs> that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but it's something I think we really need to focus on too because there, people don't realize how many billions and possibly trillions of dollars are spent to influence us to always be in the judging part. Mm. You know, because that's the consumerism. Yeah. So now we're, always, we're spending all our time judging our experience instead of experiencing our fucking experience, you know, and like my, my kids are, and my wife are such a great cure for that, you know, because it's like, I could judge, Oh, what am I doing that? I, yeah. I'm always judging. God, am I a good person? But, and, you know, and I looked and I hear my kids laughing and my wife goes, man, I really love you. I love watching you be a father to them. And you just, and I go, well, she's happy and my kids happy. So you fuck you shut the fuck up. They're okay with me. So can you shut up and let me enjoy them right when now? Otil, when, <laughs> when you give the middle finger to your judging mind, does it work? Oh, yeah, because my kids, my kids make me feel, I'm like, be gone. My son comes up and my daughter and they want to hug me, you know, and they just get out of here. His kids are like, his kids are like, daddy's talking to his shoulder again. <laughs> <laughs> giving the finger to his shoulder. He's saying, fuck your shoulder. Daddy, you're not supposed to... <laughs> Yeah, I'm swearing at your shirt, Dad. There's such beautiful, beautiful points being made. And, and I wonder, too, I've heard both you, Mike, and OTL talk about something, and, and it sort of ties into this, right? I, I think what Chaim said um, and, and this understanding of the judging mind versus um, the experiencing mind, 
that's sort of the, to me, the entry point to real change, right? Is when we are able to recognize what is happening. And Otil, you said it in the very beginning. You're like, I saw people kill themselves or I saw them uh, unhappy when they got really, really successful. And there had to be a, ba- there had to be a middle point, right? So it's like, that is sort of like an experiencing thought of like, hmm, I don't want this and I don't want this. So where is there a place in the middle? And I think that when we are able to recognize where that judging mind is, we are able to recognize that judging thought. We are able to separate ourselves from the thinking, right? You are not your thoughts, but your thoughts are your thoughts. Mm. That we then can start to have some distance between how the thoughts sort of uh, can, can really uh, dictate everything that we do and dictate, dictate our mood and dictate our behavior and dictate our relationships and our opinions about ourselves and you're a piece of shit. You know, it's, it's, I worked in uh, drug and alcohol treatment centers for a really long time. And I remember when I first started working in one, it was actually in Fort Lauderdale. And there was a guy who worked there who was you know, an old time sober dude. And he was like a big book guy. And it was like sort of really into the, like the AA philosophy. And I, I, I watched him one time give us, give a talk to the, the clients who were in the treatment center. And I, I'll, I remember it. And it's, it's really, um, I think uh, makes a lot of sense of what we're talking about. He said, from the second you're born, you're told that you're a piece of shit and that you need this to make yourself feel better. So we got the billboards and we got the cereal and we got the this and our parents and we have this and we have that. So like now you're 22 and you're sitting in rehab because the whole world has been telling you that you're a piece of shit for your whole life and you fucking believe it. Right. And school so teaches I, you that too. You pay school to teach you that shit. Right, we grade people. Right, we we you get a C minus because you spelled something wrong or whatever. So we're constantly being being thrown these things that tell us that we're not good enough and that we need more and that we need to be doing more and like that. All, yeah, that point you made in the in the on Monday in the group about uh, the artist that one of the artists that you were uh, that you were treating. Um, same thing, like sort of, I'm enough if I have enough, you know, the metrics, the likes on my social media posts and the sales, right? Sorry. I just, you yeah, know, totally no. part of. And I think that musicians and artists and people and, and comedians, I'm sure, right? We have this real time metric on oh, yeah. Instagram. Oh, that yeah. Determines our, yeah. That determines our value and our place. And, and again, I think the larger, the, sort of the larger theme is like, when we take all that away, like who are we as a human? Where do we? Where can we put our two feet down and feel the ground and feel okay? And like that's when where I think the pandemic down. might be a gift because it does strip it all away. It's like it helps us get to because maybe some of us never had. I'd like to say get back to maybe when we were kids if we happen to have a good childhood. Mm-hmm. But it helps us get to our true equilibrium as a human. You know, maybe for the first time ever. Maybe for yep. the first time ever. Like I'm literally, I think I may be happier than when I was a kid because now I'm happy and I know before I was happy and kind of the ignorance is bliss kind of thing, which I want my kids to have. But now even with all the madness that I know inside and out and I got happy again and I'm like, wow, I'm like 40 times grateful, you know? So it's, it's just uh I'm in some ways, I think, I hope that people are able to find this silver lining in it 
where now we it's an opportunity to like really uh figure out what it is how who are we really you know yeah something that i i have said for the last six months on our support group and Haim has heard me say this multiple times is is like when we're in the middle of an experience that's very 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 hard we can't see out of it we're in it we're sort of like we're, we're dealing we're trying to figure out we're trying to survive we're in this survival mode um and 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 I, I've seen this a lot working with people with substance abuse problems and who have made m- massive transitions in their lives is you know they've they've they come in broken and down and, and at a low point and they don't know how they're going to survive. And then three years later, they're back and they go, fuck, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I understand the lesson. And I'm not by any means minimizing what's happening or suggesting that this should be the best experience ever. No, but no, but what, no. I, what I do, what I believe in my heart of hearts is that there is a lesson here, right? Like you said, Oteil, and we might not be able to see it right now or experience it right now, but lessons are typically seen in hindsight. So when we get some distance from this experience and people look back on what they were able to do or go through or persist through um, and the resilience that they had during this time, like I, I know that people are going to have, uh, that they're going to take lessons away from, from this. I, I believe that. Like I, think, I really want to touch on that hindsight point too, because one of the most, uh, a, a huge cathartic experience I had was watching the movie, a beautiful mind because he, he knew in the end, like these people are not there. Yeah. Like they're there for me. I see you and I can talk to you and you can talk back to me, but I have to act as if you're not there. I have to put you aside and go about my life. And the more than I do that, you know, you can't see like how far away you are from the shore sometimes when you're swimming out on your addiction. But when you look back, you go, okay, wow, I made some progress here. It takes time. You have to as if, right? Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was like, that's like my sex addiction. Except the chicks are real. <laughs> you know, they do want to get me, whatever, you know. And so, but I still have to go, you know, like, no, I'm putting this wall up. I see you. In my peripheral vision, but no. I see you imposter syndrome. I see you judgment. I see you this. I see you social media. I see you everything, right? And and this the, way. yeah, yeah, and awareness, right? Between stimulus and response, there is a moment that we can choose to go a different way. That's not mine. That's Victor Frankel's. But between stimulus, but but, but uh, Jesus, that, that, you and Buddha, and <laughs> right, mind, mindfulness in, in right, like that. That's that's what it is, and I, I think speaks to the ability to really um, recognize the suffering in our lives and changing directions. I think uh, one of the most important things we have to remember and remind each other, and I say it a lot, is that uh, you are not alone. Um, realizing that you are feeling this, it, probably you have to acknowledge if you're feeling it, other people are too. And I would like to ask you two as mental health professionals, um, one of the hardest things is probably reaching out to a friend or a family member that you think needs you and you don't know how to reach out to them. So can you share with us and the listeners like some tips or like, you know, I've had to call friends and be like, 
you doing okay, man? Are you, are you like, you know, like, are you, are you all right? And, and, and they're like, yeah, you know, whatever this and that. And I'm like, and I'm like, just, you know, whatever, however our friendship is, you know, like this aside, that aside, comedy aside, music, like, I know it's not a concert, but like, I'm here for you. Like, I love you. And I want you to know I'm here. And, and I only say that because I don't know what else to, to say. So if there, for people who are listening, you know, can you guys just give us like a one Oh one on like how to, cause we have to break the stigma of like talking about mental health awareness because it's fucking rampant, man. And if you can't, you, you can't change the world if you know, you haven't changed yourself. And the stakes are high. We can lose them. Yeah. So we do. We what, do. what do we do? How do we, you know, right now I'm talking to comedian friends that are like, what are we, do, what are we anymore? You know? And it's kind of like a, like, you know, I don't know. It's hard sometimes to, I'm being honest. So, it's, it's difficult no, it's, to it, talk to a friend sometimes. It's the hardest. And you don't, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. And there's that pressure, right? We, and, and we don't know how, and we're not trained. And, and the truth is even, even we as, as you know, mental health professionals and Zach and I between us probably have more than, you know, 20 years of, of training and then another, you know, 15 years of practice under our belt. And there's still no guarantee that we say the right thing and that things, you know, end up in, in the right result. Um, but, but, but staying quiet and not reaching out is, uh, is God is just so, is so, is so dangerous, uh, mm-hmm. on the other way. And so, um, so I'll share a couple of, uh, of, of thoughts and then, uh, and then I'll turn it over to Zach to share a couple of the, uh, one of, one of the interesting things, you know, as a therapist, uh, when you're sitting in the room and, uh, and you want to allow for your patient to say something and you know, it's going to be really hard for them. Sometimes the best question to ask is no question. And it's just to sit quietly and presently with them and you know occasionally look them in the eye look down to give them a little bit of space look them in the eye again for a moment and just that being present with and it invites the person to open up without you having to without them having to feel like they're being pressured in a way or being forced it's it's, it gives them the initiative and so in some ways um, being able, like, it's almost like the first step when I have a friend or, uh, you know, where you guys, you described it. If someone sees a friend going through this for artists, it's often seeing someone on your crew or another, a bandmate or things like that. And it's like, what do you do? Well, it's like spend time with them sitting right next to them and you don't have to say a word. And it's just letting them know that you're, that you're present with them in their experience. Often what happens is when you sit there for two minutes, They don't say anything. And then you sit there for five minutes and then you sit there for eight minutes. And all of a sudden, by the 20th minute of just sitting silently next to them, they turn to you and they're like, fuck man, I'm having a tough time, you know, and it starts to, and it starts to come. So, so that's thing number one. Um, And then thing number two, and this is, this is like in the most mind blowing pieces of wisdom that I ever had someone share with me, which was, um, you could imagine, uh, O'Teal, how old are your kids? Two and five. Okay. So they're still young for this. And Zach's kids are, are also pretty same age, almost in the same age ranges. So you could imagine when your kids get a little older and it's like your kid comes to you and says like, you know, like dad, like I'm having a super hard time. I feel 
um, you know, not good enough. No, no, I have no friends. Nobody likes me, you know, and you're standing there and like the urge to respond is to say what? No, that's not true. Of course you're wonderful. Of course everyone likes you. And when you do that, what happens is not only are they like, oh, great, another person who doesn't understand what I'm going through, right? Um, but in some ways, you just, you've just created great and another person I'm not going to be able to live up to because I know inside that I'm not good enough and they're telling me that I'm good enough. And it's like, so, so what one of my mentors shared with me was like the greatest thing you could say to your kid in that moment is like, yeah, I've been there. I, I, know, I know what that feels like. And, and the second you do that, You've wow. made it okay for them to feel what they feel. And now, like you said before, Mike, now they're not alone, right? Yeah, so yeah. in some ways, when you have a friend who's struggling, if you're going to say something, maybe it's like, hey, here's something I'm having a tough time with, or here's something I've been through. And it's sharing your own vulnerability, which makes it yeah. then okay for them to, sh- to feel like they can share theirs. Yeah. Amazing. So those are sort of... Great answer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. A, I just want to piggyback on what I'm said as a, as a dad, um, <laughs> so much of my patience and empathy these days is because I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old who are, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. Um, uh, children's books for some reason to me are like, have the most beautiful lessons in them that I think need to be, like we should, we should adults be be reading children's books all the time um, we go back and read shell silverstein ourselves <laughs> i mean it, there, there's this there's this book out there and it's it's sort of what haim said to it, it, the first time i met haim i we talked a little bit about this and i actually just recently sent him this book like in the last two weeks there's this book and i the, and i love you for it zach thank yeah, you but there's a book called the rabbit listened and I can't remember who wrote it. And it is exactly what Haim is talking about. It is, the story is this little kid who has this, these blocks that get blown over by the wind or by birds. And then he's sitting there crying and all of a sudden these animals come up to him and they're like, you should, you know, you should feel, you should rebuild it. You should be angry. You should be jealous. You should be this, you should be that. Trying to solve the problem for the little boy. He doesn't want to do anything. And then at the end of the book, this rabbit comes and just sits and sits and sits. And eventually the little boy goes through all the emotional process that the other animals were telling him to do. He gets angry, he gets resentful, he gets this, he gets that, but then he rebuilds and it's called the rabbit listen. And I think that is what it is. It is, it's about it. it, And I read it and was like, holy shit, man, this is like, this is therapy 101. This is life 101. This is like so so much. And and even when I have a, something that I have done with my kids is instead of when they're crying, instead of saying you're okay, I simply say, I hear you. Yeah. And I think that that sort of switches things. Cause yeah. like, I don't know if they're okay, they're crying. So, so I, everything Haim says is a hundred, I, I completely agree with. And if we're not available to be in the same physical spaces, people to sort of be in that experience with them, you know, even a simple text message just to say, I'm here if you ever need anything is can be, can, can be enough or it can be a start, right? Like you don't have to, I, I just, I'm here for you. 
That's it. I do that a lot. I text people. I just go, I'm thinking about you right now. Just like shoot it off, get back to what I'm doing. Got one yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> from you. And I needed it. And it's, sometimes people don't respond. Right. And like, that's yeah. cool. Right. That's why I say I'm thinking of you because it's like, I'm not nothing. I need to tell you nothing. You need to get back to me about, but if you, you know, and then it's funny how I, I have had that conversation with my kids, even though they're that young, because Nigel, he, you know, he will get very upset about something, but he just doesn't have any concept that I might've been a kid, that I was a kid. That me. Right. And I go and I sit down with it. I get down on his level, you know, I know. And I tell him about when I did that. And he's like, really? I'm like, I want to go duh. You know, I was fine. <laughs> dude, but, or maybe I did go duh, but I'm like, you know, yeah. And it's amazing that, that it solves it more than it quicker than anything. You know, you guys are doing incredible work with people who need you. And, uh, that thank you for, for everything that you guys are doing. And, uh, we're trying to, you know, we, you talked about Zach, you said something earlier about like hindsight, you know, and I think that what we're trying to do with this pod is like, we put them out there and we, you know, hope that people listen and we hope it helps. And, you know, it's, it's because it's for that, that we do this. And, um, you know, it's, I keep thinking about, and you guys had, you know, we talk about, you had a moment during this. I had a moment during this where I think about how much I've learned in the past six, eight, two months, whatever that we've been doing this podcast from talking with our heroes and mentors and people like you and uh, Stotil and I alone. And it's just, I really do hope that everybody has that one person that they can at least reach out to. And uh, just thanks for being that for people. I mean, you guys are, are heroes too. And uh, really, really appreciate it. Can you tell everybody how they can find you? Like with backline and stuff, you know, how to, yeah. Like resources. So, yeah, I, I mean, my, um, so you can just look, I, I have a website, zachborer.com. That's my private practice, all that sort of stuff. And then um, backline.care is um, the, the organization that I, I help to, to run with some awesome other people. Um, and yeah, uh, that's specifically for the music industry and for family members of the music industry. If you need any help, you contact us possibly you'll get on the phone with me or somebody else and we'll have a conversation with you and really try to point you in the right direction of finding some sort of help for whatever it is you're going through could be uh, psychiatric care therapy sober coaching life coaching rehab whatever it is right we can hopefully find you uh, a really tailored resource to whatever it is that you're going through to help you so um yeah yeah, so that's for Zach. For me, it's drchaimnewman.com is the, uh, or you can just Google me is kind of the uh, best way to get to my private practice. Uh, the other thing that I do uh, uh, on the side as well is I have an organization called Thrive. And uh, what we're doing is uh, major research studies into the things that impact uh, the mental health of, uh, of artists and crew members who tour uh, for a living and really looking at, you know, as, uh, as both of you know, Othiel and Mike, the touring lifestyle, uh, depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, suicide, all the, the, the things that happen for people uh, or can happen 
for people who do this as a career and are on the road hundreds of days a year and away from their family and with all the pressure and the instability. And so we're really looking at understanding all of the factors that go in uh, that go into impacting the mental health of people in the industry who tour. And so, uh, so for artists or crew members who might be listening, uh, we're doing, we're conducting this major survey right now. We've had over a thousand, uh, artists and crew already take the study, uh, and are just collecting data, which will allow us to then better serve, uh, those people and provide them the care they need. And that, and that's just tourhealth.org. Uh, and people can go on there and check that out. And, uh, and just to teaser something, I guess for the first time in the, uh, in, in the universe, uh, out loud on this podcast. Uh, so Zach and I have been, uh, running this support group together for six months, uh, for, uh, individuals in the music industry who are just struggling through this time and, uh, really inspired by what we've seen in terms of the way that it's helped people and changed lives. And, you know, and each of us in our private practice, you know, we see as many uh, clients as we can, and we're there for as many uh, artists and crew members as we can, but it's, uh, you know, we're so limited, just the two of us on our own. And so inspired by what we've, uh, what we've seen in the support group. So uh, Zach and I are beginning to uh, launch a major endeavor, which will, uh, will probably launch somewhere uh, in 2021 to be able to uh, provide really like top, top level clinical care for people in the music industry, whether it's while they're at home, while they're on the road, while they're in the studio, when they're on tour, when they're not on tour, and whether it's around addiction, relationship issues, depression and anxiety, to be able to, uh, to expand the scope of what we're doing from just the two of us into uh, into a bigger uh, destination for people to really come get the support they need. Because as we know, it's like, you know, the struggle is, uh, is, is really real. And it's like going full circle and it's universal. And every person uh, in some ways is, is carrying a weight. And, uh, and if we can sort of collaborate together to, uh, to provide people a little more help in carrying that weight so they feel less alone in it, uh, so stay tuned in 2021 for, uh, for that, uh, that project. Sounds great, man. I, I, we got to have you back on cause there's other stuff that I even want to ask you about. And I would love to hear about this data that you guys have collected, you know, cause, uh, um, we just, we can't do it all in one podcast. No. <laughs> you know, for I, would, instance, yeah. I know one of the things that's so hard for me and it's, it's, I just lost my brother, you know, who was my <laughs> biggest mentor. And uh, actually, it's probably, I guess, we're gonna, it's been a while now, like a year and a half or something. But, um, you know, addicts withdraw. That was my problem. I would always withdraw. Like, you wouldn't go seek the help. You would run away. Go be in my dark hotel room, pull the blinds and medicate, you know. And it's so hard. Like you say, you just be with someone. And these are, uh, it's a great thing to do. But what do you do when someone's always running? Running, 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 you know, and we don't have to get into it now, you know, but it's just, it just, I, I want you guys to come back because there's so many more things to talk about, you know, and I really hope that this is a wave. It seems like it is. This mental health thing is, it's becoming more popular. Maybe people, as it becomes more like normal, they will choose to not run away and choose to like seek the help, you know? 
Sure. And we, we say mental health, right? Like we put this term on it, mental, mental health, but it's really just like the complexities of the human experience. Right. So we've sort of stigmatized it just by saying like mental health, it sort of is, it has a charge unto itself. Right. But what, what we've been talking about here for 90 minutes and what we continue to talk about all the time, we do it through music and we do it through art. And we do it through comedy. It's just like the human experience and we're, we yeah, all experience the ups and downs yeah, and, yeah. and we all go through it. Yeah, we sure do, man. And if Bless I, you guys. once you guys increase your roster, may I please rec- request or recommend that you open it up to not just musicians, but to comedians as well? Because it's, uh, uh, it, it's, that- it's something that I, I think that the, the model that we're building is very possible to be scaled up and trans- transferable to a lot of different dom- domains and a lot of different types of artistry. Um, so I totally hear you and I believe that, that this, I mean, a lot of what we're doing can be sort of, you know, transferred over to any artistic endeavor. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And I'm not saying it in like a, you know, I'm no, I, 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 all, I agree. hundred percent. Similarities are, are unbelievably eerie. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Thank well, you so much. Mike, I think the reason I think the reason why Zach and I in some ways ended up really doing this uh, catered towards the music industry is because that's what we know, right? And we're sure. music sort of people who had been around the music world. And it's like, you know, you got to teach us a little bit next time about like the, the unique nuances of the experience of comedians. And it's oh. actually funny. I, I almost want to, you know, if we like come back on here, I almost want to flip the script next time and like have us be able to interview you guys about the mental health experiences in your lives on the road as performers, whether, you know, on stage uh, in your various ways, O'Teal, or on stage uh, in comedy and shooting the things and doing the things the way you do, Mike, and, and actually to have us better understand, like, your kind of parts totally. of the mental health experience. Totally. I was so a comedian. Use that. It was the comedians that got me through, like the you know the whole wounded healer thing I was talking about, like Jonathan Winters, Richard Pryor. You know, these guys were like wounded. Jonathan Winters was in a mental health facility, you know, but I could relate to him. You know, I was like, and that would heal me when I felt it. You know, or my mentor Colonel Bruce, like so. I yeah, that's a great idea. There were there were weeks (laughs) at a time where I would go like one week alone in Vegas for you know, seven days and then right to another week alone in Atlantic city for seven days and then back out to a living in a, you know, a mall for five days right after that. And you get back home and it's like, I don't even know who the hell I am anymore, you know? And it's, and it's, you get into survival mode and whatever, but there are comics who look in order, any art where you have to literally give up the rest of things and go 100% all in, and live in squalor mm. in Manhattan or LA or, or on the river or, tul- or Tulsa or Tulsa <laughs> yeah. or anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere where you like, you know, you're living on a couch and a windowless basement in Brooklyn or whatever. And you just to get up and do that two minute open mic for the next six, seven years until hopefully you get noticed and hopefully you get the, and it's, and, and if you stop, there's a line 10 miles long of people waiting for that shitty little opportunity you have and if you Man, stop there's, 
There's just so much to talk about here. Yeah, there's, there is. Okay, so next everything, time. I could, I could go on. Like, <laughs> everything you just said in there was like my personal experience as a musician yeah, in, in New York, right? And like there's, I have like theories about this. Like there's so much interesting stuff that we could talk well, about. Well, we could about. talk about it anytime, even if it's we'll off do, air or whatever. Anything, yeah, anything, no, anything well, that let's will help. Let's do it again. Let's oh, of it. course, of course. But anything that we could ever do to help. I mean, I think that's, you know, Otiel and I talked about this before we even started the podcast was before the pandemic. We were talking about, let's do a podcast about spirituality. Let's do a podcast about like taking care of ourselves and whatever. And this is where we we did it with you guys. I I think what you two are doing is so beautiful and leading by example and putting your wares out there in an honest way, even just in this conversation about some of the things that you've struggled with and continue to struggle with. Like, you know, it gives permission for people out there to acknowledge what they're going through too, when people like you do it. And so we're all we're all doing this together, and and it's a collaborative process to helping each other survive this moment and the moments that are going to come, and to, yeah. to to like try our find our truest selves and to live our healthiest lives. Thank you, guys. I gotta yeah, tell you, this so is much. one of my favorite podcasts we've done. Yeah. We've done some fucking doozies, man. That we are sure amazing. Have. <laughs> yeah, we have, awesome. not, we have, man. Yeah. But this is my heart. So I, I think you guys should be regulars. We should have yeah. a mental health we have segment. A that's monthly mental health pod. Yeah, yeah. But you're gonna have to do something about, about yeah, these other things, you know. And you guys are gonna have to do something about your. Uh, you know, the, the backgrounds, hang those blankets up or, you know, put Christmas lights around that cactus or something. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was, I thought it was odd. I thought it was audio only. No, no. Collar shirt or something. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> well, we'll catch you guys next time. And thank you listeners. And, and uh, we love you and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.